What's your podcast? I like your show. Shipe Sports Show. Good evening. Welcome to the second episode of the Shipe Sports Talk Show. I'm your host, Matt Shipe, with my co-host, producer, Paul. How's it going? All right. Good. How are you doing today, Paul? I'm all right. I also got a special guest host today, Mr. Brad Cameron. Brad. How's everyone doing out there? Assuming they're doing good. Great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're doing great. Brad is one of my golf buddies. He's the only guy I know who can shoot in the 70s, both right and left-handed, even though he won't admit it. Well, that might be a little bit of an exaggeration, but uh, I, we, we try our best. That's why I rattled it one day. We made a bet that you couldn't make a par right-handed, and you did on a par five. Well, that that was a good day. <laughs> <laughs> my brother my brother started out, he's a left-handed. He started out right-handed swinging the clubs, and then just like two years ago, he switched to the left and he he upped his game by a few shots like instantly. Well, I mean, he had to work on it a little bit, but yeah, he's doing better. But definitely not in the 70s. I tried sure. lefty because I thought I did left-handed in baseball. I thought it would work. Didn't work out good. The only time I ever used a left-handed club was we were at Little Bennett one day with Brad and I forgot my pitching wedge. I took his left-handed club. Most ridiculous shot ever. I put it on the green within five feet of the hole. Never happened again. Just <laughs> turned the left-handed club around and just hit it right on. <laughs> Perfect shot. Can't even do that with a right-handed club. All right, before we get started with the NFL from this week, let's get a little breaking news. Um, yesterday, the Denver Broncos not only parted way with John Fotts, but the entire coaching staff of the Denver Broncos is now gone. Now, there's no speculation on who they could hire. My speculation is that we could see a return of Mike Shanahan. Mike Shanahan was gone before John Elway came in, control of the team, and they also have a good uh, history with each other. I mean, they won two, um, two Super Bowls back-to-back. Um, Brad, what are your thoughts on that? You know, there's a lot of options out there. Uh, but, you know, w- when you mention Mike Shanahan, you know, the first thing that comes to your mind is Denver because of Super Bowls and his legacy with Elway. So, you know, hearing you talk about that, it it, it makes perfect sense. You know, and they haven't, they haven't obviously released any information as to what kind of uh, direction they're looking to go with when it comes to, to head coaching. But, you know... Shanahan wouldn't be, you know, a bad fit because he's he's obviously been comfortable there and uh, can work well with Elway, you know. So I'm not really sure what they're going to pursue, but you know, Shanahan may not not be a bad fit. Yeah, I don't think it would be either. I mean, they know what they they're so good with each other. I mean, they won two Super Bowls. They've been to, they went to more than just two Super Bowls. Mm-hmm. But you know, I think it'd be a good fit to go back to where he's from, and you know, Manny may need a different change. Maybe he needs someone else. Um, but we'll get to that later on that game. Also, another breaking news is um, the Cowboys have re-signed Jason Garrett for uh, five years, $30 million. I have no problem with that. Garrett has took him to the playoffs you know, a couple times. He's won some division titles. I have no problem with Jason Garrett doing that. No, I agree with you, Matt. I think uh, especially this year with little expectation for the Dallas Cowboys, he motivated his team to getting them into the playoffs, winning, uh, and then losing in Green Bay. So I I think by far he's earned that money and deserves more opportunities to show that he can win at a high level. Mm-hmm. Also today on the show, we're going to preview the 2015 golf season. We got a little another, some sort of breaking news. Dustin Johnson, who took some time off last week, last year for some, I guess it was some drug issues is mm-hmm. what they said he had is in great shape and said could return for the Farmers Insurance Open in February. And that's great news. He's a great player. And I think it's great news for the tour to see someone rebound like that. 
So we'll get into that a little bit later. But first, we're going to go in some um, AFC uh, playoffs, divisional rounds. We're going to discuss first the Patriots versus the Ravens. The Patriots came out on top 35-31. Reverse from what my prediction was, I thought the Ravens were going to win a close one. Um, it was a very good game. I mean, the Patriots now are in their fourth straight AFC championship game. That is unheard of right now. Tom Brady, beginning of the season, people thought you know he was winding down in his career. He was struggling. And then he just, he turned it on. After that Chiefs game, he just turned on the Jets. And I tell you what, I mean, he went 30 for 33 for 50, 367 yards, three TDs, one interception. Julian Edelman even had a 51-yard touchdown pass. And I tell you what, the man that really is turning his offense around is Danny Amendola. He's becoming the West Walker that they thought he could become. He's playing the slot role. And the thing that's worked for Brady this year is he hasn't had too many long passes, but it's the short ones to Amendola, to Edelman. To even Gronk. I mean, he doesn't have a deep threat. I mean, he has Brandon LaFell, but he hasn't always been reliable. But it's that short pass that's working for him. And it's, I mean, guiding the AFC championship. Absolutely. You know, Matt, uh, I, I think this was an extremely tough matchup because the Ravens are so well balanced in so many ways. You know, Forsett has really turned his career around. They've been running the ball great. Obviously, Flacco's had great postseason success. Uh, you know, had his first interceptions in I think six games uh, in six postseason games in Foxborough, but the Patriots are, are healthy for the first time in a long time in the postseason. You know, last year they were missing Gronk. Amendola, like you said, is, is playing well and is healthy. And so right now the Patriots are firing on all cylinders and they're going to be tough to beat. You know, if, if they're going to stay healthy the way they are right now with Brady playing, uh, you know, taking care of the football and, and being able to move the ball, they're going to be a tough out. The one thing that concerns me the most about the Patriots was they only had 14 total rushing yards. That is the lowest total by a winning team. It concerns me. And also on the defensive side was Forsett just pounded them. And one thing that confused me about the Ravens was on that final drive, they had about five minutes left, five minutes and 13 seconds left, I believe. You know, you had plenty of time. You didn't have to rush anything. Is why wouldn't they stay with the run? I mean, they were grinding out all game against the team. I know you feel like you're rushed, but five minutes, you can throw a couple run plays in. I mean, they had a couple short yard situations on second and first down where I thought instead of taking a shot or something, they could have just ran the ball. I mean, you're, I mean, force at 129 yards. I mean, just grind it out. See what you can do. I mean, you have five minutes. You have all this time in the world. You know, you're right, Matt, but I tell you the truth, they were moving the ball effectively. Both, you know, passing wise and running the ball. You know, uh, Torrey Smith had had a couple big receptions, and uh, you know, I, I, I know Revis is is one of the best cover corners. He had a couple penalties. I, I just think at that moment they wanted to take a shot, and uh, you know, unfortunately, it didn't go their way. The Patriots, you know, they they were ready for it, dropped back, and and made the play. Tell you what, the problem with that interception at the end of the game with Torrey Smith was I felt like he didn't even try for it. I felt like he had a chance maybe if he turned around, maybe jumped up. I felt like he gave up on the play. You know, I don't know what's in his, his situation. He could have thought different. But I mean, from just watching, it seemed like he gave up on it and just let the interception happen. Well, realistically, only he knows that. But, uh, you know, he did take a really big shot earlier in the game. Yeah, he and, did. Uh, that was, they took him out for how long was he out for? Yeah, he was out for I, I, maybe the first half. I, I'm not sure. I don't I don't remember exactly when he came back in. But, you know, whether or not he, uh, you know, he was suffering from concussion symptoms, I don't know. I'm not I'm not saying that. I just know he took he took a pretty big lick. And, uh, you know, maybe that played in a factor when it came to that jump ball. Um, and, and normally he is an extremely good competitor. And so, you know, I. 
I, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't say unless he wasn't himself that he wouldn't make the maximum effort for that ball. Yeah, that's very true. I tell you what, Steve Smith, you know, three receptions, 44 yards. After that one touchdown, it felt like he was out of the game, like he wasn't a factor. I tell you what, a big factor in this game was on that final drive was Owen Daniels. Mm-hmm. I mean, he had four receptions, 41 yards, one TD, but that final drive felt like he was, he caught all his passes that final drive. I mean, it's third down and Flacco found there's Owen Daniels, middle of the field. You know, I think they found a weak spot in that Patriots defense. You know, there, there's only so many mistakes. Revis is going to make uh, and Brandon Browner is an extremely physical cornerback as well where you know you, you got to explore other options even though you may want to go to Torrey or Steve Smith you know Daniels is a tough matchup and you know that they, they found success through that and and, and we're, we're working it that way so yeah you're right I'll tell you what speaking of Owen Daniels you know going to the Colts just looking ahead real quick the Patriots should be concerned about that tight end situation because the Colts not only have one good tight end they have two very good tight ends. I mean, you have Fleener and Allen, and that could cause a serious problem for the Patriots. We'll get into that a little bit later. But first, let's let's give Brady his credit. I mean, he had three TD passes. He passed Joe Montana for the most TD passes in the postseason, which four, he has 40 sits, and that is a ridiculous amount. Also, Belichick tied um, for the most postseason wins with 20 with uh, Tom Landry. So congratulations to him. And the thing I liked about the Patriots this game was is they went down by 14, not once, but twice, and fought back both times. And you have to give them the credit. I mean, most teams, you get down 14-0 the first quarter, all right, you may fight back. But if you get down 20, I mean, they were down by 14 late. Some teams may just said, you know, we're done. But they kept fighting back, and Brady, like what Brady does, he found a way to win it. So we'll see what happens next week when they play the Colts. Mm-hmm. Next game we're going to go with is going to be the Packers and the Cowboys, probably the second game of the weekend that everyone's talking about, especially with that one pass play that everyone's talking about. We'll get to that a little bit later, but first let's look about what happened this game. Rodgers once again sensational, 24 for 35, 316 yards, three TDs on one leg. It didn't even look like that cap. I mean, you could tell it was bugging him, but some of the stuff he was doing, it was like he's he's not human. You know, he's an extreme talent. That 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 guy is motivated. Uh he's incredible at home um but obviously was limited uh with, he didn't really run the ball that much he, he had he had a lot of holes and he didn't take them a lot of holes he didn't take him he he did stand in the pocket with a lot of traffic multiple times uh and still still delivered the football you know you could tell that even though you know the cowboys were really surging on him in the pocket was collapsing you know despite his instincts which would be to kind of you know, avoid whatever pass rush they have and, and escape and elude with his feet. He, he wasn't able to, but he still found a way to win. I mean, what what an extreme competitor. Absolutely fantastic performance. Uh, another thing that game was uh, Lacey, 19 attempts for 101 yards. I mean, what more can you ask for from a second-year running back? Nothing. I mean, this, this guy changes the dynamic of that team. You know, uh, I, I don't know what happened with Lacey in the second quarter. It looked like, looked like Stark's came in and for some reason they weren't using Lacey. I have, you know, I have no idea what the strategy was there, but you know, 19 for 100 yards, just like you said, this, this guy is serious and he runs hard and he bruises defenses, uh, holds onto the football. He, he's the real deal. He's great for that football team. Yeah. And also another strong player was a rookie wide receiver from friends of state, Devonte Adams, seven receptions, 117 yards, one TD. He's the one that Rogers connected to, 
for the late TD for a 46-yarder. They cut the lead to 21-20, and they eventually went on to uh, score another. But Devontae Adams, I mean, people were giving him so much crap for that first game against the Seahawks, and he's proven himself. And I tell you what, this guy wants to shut up all the haters. He needs to come out next week. And, um, I mean, Cobb, eight receptions, 116. I mean, even Jordy Nelson was limited to only two catches of 22 yards, and they still found a way to win. Usually, Nelson's having a bad game. Rodgers is not going to do that good. But when you have Cobb, you have Nelson, you, now you have Adams, Lacey, who catches the ball out of the backfield. and is a, For his size, he is an amazing runner. And I tell you what, you go one-on-one with Lacey, you ain't going to tackle him. You're gonna, I mean, he was nope. carrying people that game. He was carrying people. Yeah, the receiving core for the for the Packers, you know, now that that Adams is really coming into form is is it's the perfect matchup with Seattle. You know, this is this is what people want to see. This is what the fans want to see is Rodgers, Jordy, Cobb, Adams going up against that secondary that Seattle has and 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 Adams, you know, played huge in this game and and he's just you know, just the list of the incredible talented freshman wide receivers you know rookie wide receivers that are that are playing this year uh it, oh, and this class was just ridiculous it, go, it goes on and on it you does know, and adam's thing, just there you go the funny thing is you didn't really hear much about these guys before the draft i mean some of them were kind of quiet but i mean they just came on i mean i was telling myself the other day you know you have jeremy hill who's a running back from lsu mm-hmm. you had odell back from lsu mm. what how did lsu not win a championship <laughs> last year I mean, Mettenberger was was strong as a quarterback. I mean, <laughs> you look at these guys now, you're thinking they had a national championship last year or something. Lots of talent. But I mean, Odell Beckham, I mean, Adams, Evans. Benjamin, you, I mean, you, you can go you, you, you can go, go on, on and on uh, with the list of the, the rookie impact receivers that uh, that are in the NFL this year. It's, it's probably the best class I think they've had ever. In my I, opinion. I would go out on a limb and say ever. I mean, there are so many receivers that are making plays. Cooks, you know, you you can just, you can go on and on with these receivers. They're living are, up to their potential. Unlike some of these other classes where the rookie, they were taken high and they had lived up. These guys are actually living up to the potential that people thought they could. Well, completely. Uh, you know, and, and and Odell Beckham really, you know, taking over the league. Uh, you know, you look at Watkins. He had a great year. But well, he was playing with Herc Ribs most of the year that he hurt during the preseason. He never really fully recovered. And also the QB situation in Buffalo was not the best for Watkins. True, but if you look at his numbers, you know, he still uh you know, he still he mm-hmm. still found a way to to definitely make an impact for that team. You know, I know Buffalo is is extremely defensive oriented, powerful defense. But they will now more than ever Rhett's Ryan there. Well, yeah, we'll, we we might discuss that uh, a little bit later. Um but yeah, just just in, this this should be epic. Uh, Seattle secondary versus the uh, the passing game for the Packers, even you know, even if Rodgers is a little bit gimpy. Speaking of the uh, wide receivers, let's go with that fourth quarter play, fourth and two, one on one. Des Bryant, thirty one yards down the one yard line. McCarthy, who hasn't won a challenge all year long, throws a challenge flag. I mean, you got nothing to lose. Reverse. Everyone's upset, but let me mm-hmm. tell you something. This is called the Calvin Johnson rule for a reason. About, I think it was five or something, five years ago, Johnson called a game winning touchdown pass from the Bears. And as he was going down the ground, he slammed the ball on the ground because he thought he already had reception. They went back, overlooked it. And ever since then, they put this rule in the rule book. If you go back and look at Bryant when he caught the ball, as he was coming up when he was reaching over, the ball came loose. Doesn't matter how you look at it, it's an incomplete pass. It's a, it's a shitty rule to have. I think it's stupid. But, you know, some people say karma's a bitch. 
Some people will say that, but I just think it's it's a rule. It's an incomplete pass. You can only go much so far with it. One thing I do want to know is, is, speaking of Des Bryant, last week he came onto the field all the way to the ref to argue the pass the the pass interference call. Sure, not penalized. This week John Harbaugh took two steps on the field and got a fifteen yard or so. Take that as you want. I thought that was kind of funny when I saw it, but besides the point. Sorry for getting off toss, but there. I mean, it's just it was a horrible situation for Des Bryant. He made an, an incredible catch, but I think that goes to show you is that just make the catch. I mean, you're going to be on the one yard line. Don't try to stretch it out. Give. I mean, you have Demarco Murray in the team. I'm sure he can put it in from one yard out. Give your team a chance to win. Don't try to make the extra play. Just secure the ball and then let your offense take it from there. Well, you said it, Matt. Uh, you know, it's it's fourth and two. What you need is a first down to have more chances at a touchdown. I, I like I like the aggressive play call that Dallas had, and uh, you know they they wanted to take their shot and you know try to put a dagger in the Packers. Uh, but this is a learning experience for Dez. You know he's he's extremely talented and he knows that, and that was an amazing athletic play. But the key to that is securing the catch. You know he, he's going to learn when he's in a big situation like that again to to know what is the biggest thing the biggest thing is making this reception for my team and uh you know unfortunately he paid quite a big big price uh, last week but he'll learn yeah he's young um let's go ahead and look forward to uh next week games i mean you know we didn't cover all the games this week uh, i just think the other two pretty much speak for themselves when you watch them i mean the panthers you know, all you Carolina Panther fans out there, I'm sorry. You didn't have a chance. Not enough firepower. Nope. Sorry. And um, Broncos and the Colts. I mean, you know, I, I rewatched the game a little bit, the highlights. And, you know, people are saying Manning with his duck arm and stuff. As I rewatched the game and looked at it a little bit, it seemed like his receivers weren't physical enough. I feel like his throws were there, but the receivers weren't there to meet him. I mean, he, I knew they said he overthrew Daenerys and Emmanuel a couple of times. But if you go back and look at the game and look at the start and when they hit the line, his receivers are getting pushed around. I mean, Sanders, if he doesn't get pushed around, he has to catch. But they were getting pushed around. I mean, of course, a couple of his throws were duck arms. But it just feels like his receivers aren't physical. Sure. Uh, you know, we, we saw last year in the Super Bowl against Seattle that once you knock these guys off, uh, that I don't know if they lose the will to really play, but it disrupts the timing of their offense by a lot. And you know, it, it, it makes it so they can't move the ball as effectively through the air, you know, which is what Manning is known for and, and which is why he's, he's so special and, and, and such a great asset to a team is because his ability to move the ball through the air. So yeah, knocking those guys off their spots, you know, really made it so that the timing of the offense was, uh, was thrown off and I'm sure it worn the receivers out you know, a lot more than what they're used to. Colts using that physicality just like Seattle did in the Super Bowl last year. I think the one problem with Manny is now he's so old and he gets the ball out so quick now that if you throw them off their route, it's not there for him anymore and he has to look other places and if they all go off at one time, he has nowhere to throw to. Another thing that I kind of, I think hurt him towards the end of the year is, is I know Julius Thomas got hurt and I talked about this in my last show was it felt like he went away from Julius Thomas and I don't know why. I mean, the guy had 10 reception, 10 touchdowns, you know, through the first half of the season. And I felt like after his injury, he didn't trust him as much. And I don't understand why. I mean, Julius Thomas, he's a free agent. He's going to make money. He's going to get paid this year. I mean, mm-hmm. he's a top 10. He's a, excuse me, top five tight end. He's going to get money. Why wouldn't you not use him? I don't understand that. You know, 
there's definitely something that changed about that team in the last couple of weeks. Uh, you know, l- looking at Anderson's numbers, oh, yeah. you know, putting up a lot more rushing touchdowns than passing touchdowns. Uh, you know, the, the the dynamic of that team changed a little bit. I, I, you know, I don't know for what reason. I, I heard possibly that Manning had some kind of a. So yeah, it was a torn. They said he played with a quad, torn quad. Torn I mean, quad. That, that's probably why they handed off much. But I tell you what, they found a gym in CJ Anderson. No, big time, and and and, I don't, I don't, and give tons of credit to that kid for stepping up to a role that, uh, you know, he's given the opportunity and makes the best of it. And he was but, grinding out against some of the good defenses in the AFC West. And AFC West is no slouch for a run defense, and oh, he no. was grinding them out. And I tell you what. I think he'll have the starting job and that's over Hillman and Ball. The main thing was that Hillman and Ball's problem was is they put the ball on the ground a lot. Sure. Yeah. CJ, I don't know, maybe one, maybe I don't I don't really recall him ever fumbling. No, and he's a he's a bruiser. He's a great run blocker. Uh I, I think he's he's definitely a great fit for the Broncos. And uh Well, he made the play of the night on that fourth on that third down where oh, he sure. just he Fought just full rushed three, four guys. He made that was a play of the game for the Broncos. Yeah, by far. Yeah, that 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 kid is gonna be a special talent for that organization for sure. And like I said earlier, with John Fox and the entire coaching staff gone now is I mean, who knows what's in store for the Broncos? Who knows if Manny may stay around? Um I mean, he still has two years left on his contract and they still owe him a lot of money. So who knows what's gonna happen? We may see Shanahan back. I mean, who else? We don't I don't know right now who'd be qualified for that job besides Shanahan just because of the history. But we'll have to wait. So wait and see game, and we'll talk about that later on once we get someone who's hired there. Yeah. All right. For next week, NFC championship preview. We got the Seahawks versus the Packers. All right, we're gonna go back to week one here. Seahawks won that game 36 to 16. I mean, it was a bad game for the Packers. Mm-hmm. And I tell you what. There's a couple differences from week one to, to this week. I think the main difference is Rodgers, you know, a lot of people give Sherman credit, but he has to attack Sherman. He limited his field of vision to one side of the field, and you're not going to get that many. You're not going to do that much with just one side of the field being looked at. I mean, he only passed for 189 yards, one touchdown, one interception. That's very un like And also, Eddie Lacy didn't get going. He only had 34 mm-hmm. total yards. I mean, it's not very good for him. I mean, Eddie Lacy got going after that game. But uh, Rodgers, I mean, you're going to have to attack Sherman. If you go to one side of the field, you're going to have Cam Chancellor, who's also going to go to that one side. He'll take you on the other side, opposite of Sherman, to make sure that, you know, wherever you go, you have to, you're going to have to fight someone. So he's going to have to attack Sherman one week, one way or another. He has to get everyone involved in the passing game, and they have to get the run game going. They have to get the play action, because that's the main thing that helps Rodgers, is play action, his blue blade, get some screens, uh, screens going, get physical with this team. That's the only way you're going to beat Seahawks if you're physical. Yeah. No, you're, you're absolutely right. You, you can't go into Seattle scared. Um, you know, you, you're going to have to take on the challenge that they bring, which is physicality. It's speed. It's awareness. Um, there, there's a lot of, uh, of different aspects to Seattle's defenses. And, you know, it's why they're number one in the NFL. But, you know, I, I one of the key things I'm going to look for in this game is – can they give Rodgers enough time and these these receivers enough time to get open? Seattle loves to bring a lot of people up, and I, I think one of the best ways to beat Seattle is over the top, but you usually don't have that much time to beat them over the top because they have such a great pass rush. Uh, and so I'm very interested to see how well this offensive line can do against this team, uh, against the Seahawks, giving Rodgers protection you know, enough time for these receivers with their double moves uh, to to really spur some big plays. Yeah, I mean, you go back to week one. I mean, they had three sets on Rodgers. I mean, Bennett had two of them, and he's a great pass rusher. Mm-hmm. 
I think also one of the keys for the Seahawks is that was a big playmaker for them in week one that's not here anymore. It's Percy Harvin. Sure. Uh, I mean, Percy Harvin did a, he did some damages against uh, the Packers in week one. Also, the main thing for the Packers' defense is Clay Matthews has to get going quick. He's got to put pressure on Wilson, and you got to stop Lynch because if you don't stop Lynch, that sets the play actions and bootlegs up, and that fits right into what Russell Wilson wants to do. You get Wilson and you give him the play action and the blue lead, he will beat you all day long. Yeah, sure. The Seattle team, uh, you know, they they love setting up that play action and they love rolling Russell Wilson out of the pocket, uh, you know, so that he can he can extend plays either with his feet or or with his arm, you know, getting outside the pocket, giving receivers time to get open for for bigger plays down the field, uh, and that that all that all changes if you can you know if you can really stuff their run and uh, that that's much easier said than done but that 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 is something to look for uh is Packers ability to stop that that run game if they want to have a chance to win this football game tell you what you look at both of these offenses are almost mirror of each other they're in that they're the mirror image the only the only difference is the Packers I think they have a lot better wide receivers than the Seahawks mm-hmm. but the thing is Wilson is he makes his wide receivers look good I mean Doug Baldwin just had a good game last week I mean you got Luke Wilson Javon Curse who can definitely beat you deep mm-hmm. but you know what I still think the Packers in the second meeting will pull this off, and I actually don't think it'll be close. I think the Packers are going to win this 31-17 because I think if they get Rodgers going, they get their play action going with Rodgers himself, and if they can put pressure on Wilson, stop Marshall Lynch, you know, they should win the game. Uh, I feel Julius Peppers, he's gone back 10 years and is playing incredible right now. you got A.J. Hawk who can stop the run. you got Clay Matthews who put pressure on him. Uh, I tell you what, you know a major thing I think for the Packers this year is, is losing B.J. Raji. I feel like that was a big part of their run defense, and um, he was a huge loss. You know, when he comes back next year, I think this team will be even better. Uh, I mean, and also, the, the, also then looking at the keys for the Seahawks to win this game, you got to keep Rodgers off the field. I mean, the Cowboys, they grinded out with DeMarco Murray. Seahawks are going to have to do the same thing with Lynch. I don't think they will. I think the Packers will be able to stop them, but that's just my prediction. I, I think th- that could very easily happen because the Packers – are a great football team. Uh, you know, th- this is a very interesting game because, you know, it, it, it's kind of, they're very similarly uh, shaped teams. Um, you know, when it comes to to the Packers, they, they are about the play action, um, you know, taking taking shots down the field. Seattle is similar in that respect. And so, you know, the, the score could, could go in one way if they, you know, if they end up pulling off a couple of those big plays. But I, I just think at home, the physicality of Seattle, uh, their ability to get to the quarterback and 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 knock receivers off routes with with a a not one hundred percent Rodgers, I I, get, I gotta take the Seahawks. You know, I, I'm I'm thinking something like twenty four twenty one. Uh, you know, a little bit of a tighter game, but you know, I just I I I can't see them losing at home. Well, I guess we'll find out this Sunday, won't we? We shall. All right. AFC Championship game. We got the Colts and we got the Patriots. This is a very interesting game on matchup. One side, you got the old man and Tom Brady. Been around the league for a while. They're four straight AFC Championship games, three Super Bowls. The other side, you got third-year quarterback Andrew Luck, who's got an arm on him. Sometimes he doesn't make the smartest of throws. I'd go back to this weekend's game where he made a – it was late in the second – in the first half, towards the end of the first half, he made an errant – throw across middle of the field was picked off. Of course, the Broncos offense wasn't doing anything, so it didn't really hurt him at all. Any other team, that would have hurt, especially this Patriots team. But I tell you what, 
the thing that I look at for what the Colts have to do is they have to get Boom Boom going. I mean, like I said earlier, Justin Forsett was tearing up this Patriots defense, and Boom Boom has come on to be a very strong running back in the absence of Ahmad Bradshaw. I mean, Trent Richardson was a third round, was a third pick overall. They're not even using him. He was a healthy inactive. So it shows what kind of running back Boom Boom is. And also another thing that's not working against the Patriots is we talked about Owen Daniels, which was killing him. He got two very good, very good tight ends. You got Dwayne Allen, who's coming off injury and is playing like he's in midseason form again. Injury's not bothering him. You got Colby Fleener, who Fleener's, he can go two ways. Either he'll catch the ball or he'll have his drops. Like Fleener's good for one or two drops a game, and it sucks because he has such good talent. I mean, as Brad knows, as a Redskins fan, he tore up the Redskins when they played. What? <laughs> Should have had two touchdowns. He dropped the one. Like I said, he dropped one right yeah, across he, the middle. He did. He dropped one. Uh, you know, he he did a great job, like many other uh, many other receiving targets all year, tearing up the Redskins secondary. So, but I mean, but Fleener, he's and he's pretty fast in open field for a tight end. Oh, very much so. He is. Uh, you know, he's he's one of the new the new formed kind of tight ends that are quick. Very quick, you know they're they're a mix between receiver and tight end type bodies. You know they're not they're not a, a, as big as you know Fleener's not as big as Allen, but he's extremely agile. Like like wide receivers can get open. You know, kind of becoming that new matchup nightmare type of tight end uh, receiving target player. And I tell you what, um, a lot of people don't know this because they don't really follow college football. Is Luck and Fleener were teammates at Stanford mm-hmm. and they were drafted the same draft class and I tell you what their connection is better than ever I mean it looks like they didn't even lose a step I mean Fleener wasn't really number one option Lutz first year but they're coming on and I tell you what they didn't even look like they lost a step from college I mean they are connecting they know where each other's are at and they're mm-hmm. connecting very good like the chemistry between those two could potentially be equivalent to Gronk and Brady or the Breeze and Graham I mean they're going to get to that level I believe uh, it, it, it very well could and uh, you know I'm sure Fleener's learning a lot from Dwayne Allen. Uh, you know, he he's an experienced playmaker in this league. Um, you know, it's it's going to be tough for the Colts because you know, I just think the offensive line for the Colts isn't really built to run the football that extremely well. And just like the Colts have been for several years, it puts a lot of uh, stress and pressure on Andrew Luck. Now, now obviously he can handle it. He's he's shown that. He can play at a high level. He can win games uh, and lead his team even with the inability to run the football. And so, you know, you're going to need big plays out of your tight ends, and Fleener's going to be one to keep your eyes on for sure. And he's got to make sure not to put the ball in the hands of the Patriots secondary and give Brady opportunities to capitalize it into points because, uh, you know, I, I think I think he will. So Luck really needs to be on his game and limit his turnovers. I think what's trying to help out the Colts a lot is if you when we watched the Patriots versus the Ravens, Patriots were getting killed on a lot of underneath passes. Mm-hmm. And um, what the Colts strive are, I believe, is a slants. I mean, you got Reggie Wayne and T.Y. Hilton, one of the best combos of wide receivers in the NFL, and they run those slants better than anyone else. I mean, T.Y. Hilton can turn a slant or a curl route into an 80-yard touchdown with a blink of an eye, and you wouldn't even know it. Sure. So I think that could, you know— affect the Patriots. I still think the Patriots can come out on top because Brady is just the experience is there. And I mean, and also on the other side, you got Devin McCourty, who's a great safety. 
And I tell you what, as Tennessee Titan fan, we have his uh, brother, Jason. I'd rather have Devin than Jason any day of the week. <laughs> you got Darrell Revis, who is right back to where he used to be. Mm-hmm. He's back to having Revis Island. Yeah. I mean, he threw some, he threw really, I mean, he had two flags last week. He was very un Revis like. Yeah, it's uncharacteristic of him. I think he was, I think he didn't expect that Steve Smith still had that much in the tank <laughs> left. Because, I mean, Steve Smith had a really good year for how old he was. Oh, sure. I mean, I bet you Cam Newton's missing him this year. I mean, Steve Smith and Kelvin Benjamin would have been really good. And also, you got to think about yeah, Brandon knows? LaFell was also with the Panthers. So, you got to think, whew, yeah, that, they could have had a team. That team could have been, uh, it, it would have looked a lot different had they had those two targets still. That's nothing for Brady is LaFell is really coming along as a deep threat. I mean, he can go up and grab the ball and it's mm-hmm. really helping out Brady in the red zone when Gronk is covered. He has that person in LaFell that he can throw up to and LaFell can't come down with the ball. I mean, he has his drops sometimes, but he mostly has come on to be a very good receiver this year. Mm-hmm. Um, Gronk, I mean, you can't say much more about Gronk. I mean, he's just, he's the best tight end in the league. Yeah, hands stud. down. Just, just an absolute stud. Um, so, I mean, my prediction for this week is going to be Patriots are going to win. I'm going to go 31 to 17. Patriots. Okay. So very similar football games for, uh, for mm-hmm. NFC and AFC in your, in your opinion. Me. I just think the Patriots just offense too much. It's going to be too much. I think, uh, I think, I think that's a good call. Uh, I, I agree. I have the Patriots win this game as well. And I think a lot of that just stems from the experience <laughs> and, and, and just, you know, you look at the organization of the Patriots and how winning is just a habit. Uh, you know, no matter who they throw into the system, you know, they, they got rid of Wes Welker, picked up Amendola. Edelman has stepped his game up. You know, winning is just a habit in that organization. And, uh, you know, I know Andrew Luck is a is a winner. He's a competitor. But I just think he's going up against too much this week. And, uh, yeah, I'll take 31-17. Why, why not? I don't I don't see any reason why not. Right. I, think, I think the Patriots will win this pretty handily. Yep, and then our Super Bowl matchup that we have is I have Patriots versus the Packers, and Brad has Patriots versus Seahawks, so mm. we'll see who's right and who's wrong. Okay. Uh, next week episode, I will preview that game because I'm not going to preview the Pro Bowl because no one really cares about the Pro Bowl. Um, all right, staying on football, we're going to talk a little college football. Congratulations to Ohio State Buckeyes becoming the first college football playoff champs. Congrats to them, and I tell you what. To win a championship like that with your third-string quarterback, whose first game was a Big Ten championship, he blew out Wisconsin. Then you come on, you got to play Alabama, beat Alabama, and then came into a powerhouse where Oregon, I think, is becoming a very dominant powerhouse in mm-hmm. college. They haven't won the big one, but they're becoming, I think, they're they're the class of the Pac-12 now. Yeah. USC, I'm sorry, they have sidestepped. I mean, you got Oregon or Arizona, Arizona State. I mean, I feel USC is... You know, they're in the back of the class now. No, so Oregon's Oregon, team to beat, you're right. Oregon's team to beat. Mm-hmm. And Ohio State, they just dominated that game. And I tell you what, the main reason they won that game is running back easy kill Elliott. That kid is a stud. Look for him on Sundays. He had 36 attempts, 246 yards, four touchdowns. I don't know how many times when I watched this game, they had a fourth and one, third and two, gave it to him. You're going to get the first. You're, they got the first down. Yeah. You know, give Elliott tons of credit, but also also give that offensive line a lot oh. of credit. I mean, they they were they were creating holes. I uh, I heard a stat that he Elliott had a hundred. What do you say he had two hundred and forty six two hundred forty six yards. He had a hundred and seventy yards before anyone touched him. 
So, I mean, this kid was hitting massive holes and, you know, and, and, and he's explosive in the open field and, and it's hard to get a hand on him and he's fast. So, you know, but between the offensive line and Elliott, I mean, it was just an absolute destruction, uh, a tandem of running game that they had against Oregon. And I tell you what, that shows a lot for Ohio State's uh, offensive line because last week when Oregon played Florida State, they completely demolished mm. that offensive line in Florida State. Florida State's offensive line looked like a little peewee football team against Oregon. And I just thought Oregon was going was to boat race this because their offensive line looked so good last week. But this week, Oregon's defense did not show up. Um, Cardell Jones did a great job protecting the ball. He had the one little mishap fumble that didn't really hurt him. It only turned to a field goal. And the interception he had wasn't his fault. I mean, he popped out of the receiver's hand. I mean, he threw, he went 16 for 23, 242, and one TD, one interception. Like I said, it wasn't his fault. His passing QB rating of 163.6. Can't get any better than that. Uh, Mariota on the reverse side also didn't have too bad of a game. You know, 24 for 37, 333 yards, two touchdowns, one interception. He got sacked twice, and that's no, from what Brad told me, took a big hit where he was taken out of the game for um, about three plays. But the major thing here was the third down deficiency. Ohio State on third down, eight for fifteen. Oregon, who's coming to this coming to this game, we're averaging around seventy percent on third down. It's two for twelve. You don't win football games going two for twelve. And also, going on top of that, Ohio State was three for three on fourth downs. A lot of those were runs mm-hmm. to Ezekiel. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Ohio State did a did a great job. They game planned. They made they made plays. Uh, you know, Oregon was forced into a lot of third and longs, um, you know, where where they were not as comfortable passing with missing two two big receivers for their offense. You know, I think I think Ohio State's defense did a good job on first down, really limiting Oregon's explosiveness and not letting that offense really get going where, you know, once they get one or two first downs, they just ramp up that hurry up offense and and hold on. You know, you saw their first drive where they really were moving the football, and that's when it's tough to stop them. So if you can really limit what they can do on first down, even second down, force them into some kind of third and long, get them a little more uncomfortable, I think that was Ohio State's game plan, and it, it worked out, obviously. Well, here's a stat for you. When's the last time you saw Oregon punt the ball six times in a football game? Never. They said uh, it was the first time they punted four times. Uh, I guess maybe it was in the first half since 2009 or so. So, I mean, yeah, Oregon's not accustomed to, to punting, mm-hmm. uh, even turnovers. I mean, they led the, the, the FBS, they led the nation in turnover margin, only had 10 on the season going into this national championship. Uh, so, you know, very, very good offensively team and, uh, Ohio state did a fantastic job, you know, altering their success on offense. It's funny. Talk about the turnovers is Ohio state had four turnovers, and still, Oregon only put up 20 points. I mean, that's, I mean, you give Oregon State the ball, they're going to put up points. And the one fumble that Jones had, I mean, they went all the way down to the 15 yard line. Mm-hmm. I mean, they had first and 10 for the 15 and only put up a field goal. I mean, it's, I mean, it just wasn't unheard of for Oregon. It sucks. You know, I was rooting for them because, you know, they lost to Auburn a couple of years ago. I was really hoping they're going to win that. They're a good program. I think they paid their dues to where they should have won. But you know what? Urban Myers, he's a legend. You can't, I mean, Urban Myers knows how to prepare. He's been there before. That's that's also a main difference. Urban Myers has been there. He's won it. Oregon, they've only been there once, but they've never won it. And also, it was Chip Kelly who went there. This is the new coach. So, I mean, he's never been there. Experience does come in a factor, especially mm-hmm. in college football, because you know how to prepare better. 
And I think, and also, I think what helped Ohio State was they were better tested before this game. I think they played the better team in Alabama, and I think that prepared them a little bit better. I mean, Florida State, you know, you haven't tried their good team, but I, ACC, you know, I love the conference to death. You know, I was a Maryland fan. I just feel like the ACC wasn't much of a competition for Florida State. I mean, they had a maybe a couple good schools in there, but I feel like Florida State was never really, I mean, they were pushed to the limit, but not against very good competition. Yeah, you're you're right. The ACC uh, was was lacking a little bit this year, you know, in comparison to what it has been, you know, a couple of years previous. And Florida State has never really looked amazing, you know, at, at all all season. They won, you know, they won some games, and and majority of their wins were were comebacks. And you know th- th- they didn't have the most rigorous schedule, and so you know what's that saying when when your team isn't coming out? And strong against, you know, what, I, I guess, on paper. Well, you go back and you look at their wins over Notre Dame. They were ranked. Louisville was ranked. Clemson was ranked. But then when you go back, when the season's over, some of those teams that were ranked high weren't really ranked high. Yeah, sure. Notre Dame was, fifth. they looked overrated now. Yeah. You know, obviously you see Notre Dame was was not that good. Um, mm-hmm. and, and Louisville, you know, I, I give, they had a fine season. But but either way, Florida State still struggled with, with, with many teams, you know, when, when you're the when when you're the favorite, when you're the number two team defending national champion, you, know, you, you you shouldn't be having this many comebacks. And so, you know, all year they looked suspect. I guess I'll say. Hmm. Uh, but I mean, congratulations, Ohio State. Yeah. Who knows what's in store for them next year? Here, they're going to have a very. I think they may have a quarterback controversy next year. You're going to have Bradson Big Miller, time. J.T. Barrett, and now. Cardell Jones, you know, there is rumor that Bradson Miller may transfer to Duke. And, you know what, to be honest, I don't blame him because you don't know what's going to happen with these three quarterbacks. All three of these guys could be starters. Anywhere they go, they could be a starter anywhere else they go. And if Miller transfers, I, I don't I don't see a problem. I don't blame him just because, you know, he wants a chance to start somewhere. And, I mean, if he wants a chance to start, let him go somewhere and start. Sure, yeah, I think, uh, you know, there, there comes a time in all these kids' careers where, um, you know, you want to be in the light and you want to start securing your, your job. And, you know, if you, if you have to go somewhere else, you, you go somewhere else. And, uh, you know, if Braxton takes his talents to, to Duke, then, uh, you know, I think that's a, that's a great pickup for Duke and, and wish him all the best. And, but yeah, it's going to be a Maryland fan. You don't wish him any luck at Duke. Well, don't no, lie. Not, no, that that's true. But, um, you know, I, you know, th- these young kids, th- this is a tough decision. You know, th- these young kids, there's a lot of pressure on them and, you know, some of them are are young. You know, these are young eighteen year old, nineteen year old kids, twenty year old kids who are are making big, big time life decisions already, and it's, you know, it's tough and it's publicized. So, you know, I, I do I do wish him the the best, not necessarily Duke, but I wish him the best. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're gonna um, shift gears here. We're gonna talk into something that we both love. That's gonna be the golf PGA Tour. Mm. They've recently just had their first term of the year. They had the Champions of Champions Tour. Patrick Reed won that event. Congratulations to him. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, this is going to be a very fun season on tour, I believe. It's going to be a very competitive, very fun season. I'm looking here right now, you know, top 10 finishes last year. McElroy, of course, led the way with 12 of three wins. You got Fierk, who had 11 top 10s, four times second place. You have Kutcher with 11. He had one win. Sergio Garcia, who had 10 top 10s and five top threes. So close, he just he can't find a way to finish it. And then right at the top five is you got Adam Scott, who had one win this year. Um, money leader, of course, for Rory. 
I mean, it's golf has gotten very competitive over the past couple of years. You can't predict anything anymore. No, that's that's putting it lightly. Uh, extremely competitive. There's so much talent out there, and you know, you, you look at some of the names that are that, that are, you know, with, with young kids with top ten finishes. I know we went over the the top five there. You know, McElroy, Furyk, uh, Kucher, Sergio, and Scott. But, you know, you look at younger kids like Spieth and younger kids like Fowler. Uh, now that they have a lot more experience under their belts, you're going to see some extremely solid golf this year at uh, uh, these kids who, uh, you know, who are so talented. And now they have some experience. They have majors under their belts. They're ready, they're ready to contend. Um, it, it's going to be crazy. I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to some really spectacular golf. I'm going to tell you right now, Jordan Spieth is my player to watch this year. I mean, the kid's 21 years old. He came in second at the Masters last year. I think he's a break. Not only is he, I wouldn't even consider him a breakout player just because of how good he played last year, but he's definitely, I can guarantee he's going to get his first win this year. He had eight top tens last year for 20, a 20 year old turning 21 last year, eight top tens. That's crazy. That's almost Tiger numbers. You know, that kid doesn't lack anything. No. Uh, you know, he's, he's won tournaments, he knows how to win. And keep this composure too. For a young age to keep your composure sure. that good is amazing. I mean, I remember McElroy when he was that young, he didn't keep his composure at all during that one Masters where he blew it up. Mm-hmm. I feel like if Spieth had a lead like that, he wouldn't lose it. No, I I I I think you're right. He's extremely composed. He's long. Um, you know, he's he's comfortable, he's confident, he can putt great. You know, his short game is there. Th- th- this kid has all the pieces. Uh you know, so look for him to really surge. You know, like like he did last year. Look for look, look for him to surge to the top of a lot of tournaments. Speaking, of, I just spoke of Tiger Woods. Let's go with Tiger Woods last year. Mm. Seven tournaments, three out of the seven rounds, his score was over par, and then he also missed three cuts. I mean, I feel like he is playing injured. I think he shouldn't. Have, I honestly think he shouldn't have played last year at all. I think he should have taken the whole year off. He needs to figure out what's going on. He's got another new swing coach. He said he's playing strong. I don't know how much more he has left in the tank. I really think the Jack Nicholas talk record is out the window now. Mm-hmm. I feel like that went away when he hurt his uh, when he tore his ACL. I mean, you know from experience that's really hard to come back from. I mean, you have your experience of your ACL being torn. Yeah, I, I do. Um, you know, Tigers is on, you know, his lead knee where mine's on my my back knee. But uh yeah, Tiger, you know, father time is here uh, and, and it's difficult and there's young kids who are talented, who are healthy, uh, who are ready to win on a big stage. You know, the, the tour now I think is a lot more competitive than it was when Tiger was really surging. Not that it wasn't incredible, the runs that Tiger had. I mean, you know, at, at the time, just absolutely dominant, incredible. But I think the fields are much more deep uh, than they were, and, and I think Tiger's body is is just getting old, and and everyone has to deal with it, and and it makes it difficult. Uh, and and you see this year, you know, his, his back was giving him problems, and I, I don't I don't see any reason to to think that that could not be the case in this 2015 season. That you know he may not re-injure himself, you know, tweak his back. Uh, you know, have some kind of physical problems just because, uh, you know, he's getting older and it's it's demanding. I tell you, someone who's not getting young and has a very potential to do something that hasn't been done since Tiger Woods, and that's to have all four majors at one time, and that's Rory McIlroy. Me and you have discussed this before. 
last week. And um, like we said, the tour is highly competitive now. But if anyone could do it in this time right now, within the next 10 years, it probably is probably either going to be Spieth or Roy McIlroy. Yeah. I feel like McIlroy can, I mean, he's already won the Masters once. He can do it again. He's got the U.S. He can. He's already won one U.S. Open, and when he won the U.S. Open, he won the U.S. Open. Oh, completely dominating the field. Yes. I mean, I was a uh, marshal that game, and the highlight of marshaling that tournament was I was on number eight by the dream when McIlroy was playing with Phil, and he took a shot from the fairway and just spun it right back in the hole. Yeah. And I tell you what, it was to see a kid that young play is amazing. And, you know, he's he won the British, he won the PGA. The only thing he has to do left now is to win the Masters, win the U.S. Open. If anyone can do what Tiger did, it could be McElroy. I mean, he has the potential to be go down as one of the greats to ever play this game. And definitely mm-hmm. will probably go down as the greatest Irishman to ever play this game. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right in that manner. And uh, this kid is a special talent. You know, you look at his resume with all the wins that he has uh, at such a young age. It is incredible, and there are no weaknesses in his game. And once he gets that flat stick going, putter, once he starts rolling putts in, it's lights out. I mean, it, it, it will be lights out. And just like he did Congressional win the U.S. Open, he'll he'll run away with things. Like, he will absolutely run away with things because of his length, you know, his, his ability to go for par fives into, uh, you know, able to really stretch his leads. You know, this kid is uh, is incredible. I mean, since 2007, he turned professional. He has, I'm looking at it right now, nine wins on the PGA Tour. Not only that, he has nine wins on the European Tour, Jeez. which I think the European Tour is actually could be kind of harder to win because so many good talent in Europe. Oh yeah, that we haven't even heard of yet. A mm-hmm. lot of them, a lot of them won't come to the USA really because they want to stay close to home. I guarantee there's a lot of players over Europe that if they came over here and played late every other week, they'd probably dominate just as much as Rory. He even has a win on the Asian Tour. He has one win over there. I mean, he's... Let me go back to my statement I made earlier. I made a mistake. He hasn't won the Masters yet. His best finish was tie three. That mm-hmm. was last year. So my mistake. He's won PGA Championship twice, U.S. Open once, British Open once. So, I mean, he has... I mean, he has the potential to do what a lot of people haven't done. I mean, he's already... He's four majors, and he's 25 years old. 25. I mean, I don't know. I would have to go back to look to see how many Tiger had at 25. It could be pretty darn close. I think it was exactly the same, and uh, yeah, the the ceiling is is limitless for this kid because uh, he's you know he he's so talented and you know, he can dominate with his length. You know some of these courses that they're that that they're trying to stretch. You know it's it's not a problem for him. For other people who you know who don't have the ability to hit the long ball like he does to to stripe his long irons, uh, you know it it really gives him massive uh, competitive advantage, you know, the edge over a lot of the field. And look at this stat. Cuts last year. He played 17 tournaments, made all 17 cuts. Yeah. I mean, I mean I'm looking at his accomplishments from last year. I mean, PGA Tour, he's a leading money winner, PGA Player of the Year, PGA Tour Player of the Year, European Golfer of the Year. I mean, he won the <laughs> Brian Nelson Award. I mean, <laughs> what, what more can you ask <laughs> for in 2014? And you know what? He may not won the FedEx. I mean, Billy... Horschel won the FedEx, but you know what? The FedEx, I really don't take that as who's the best player because that just, that's just someone who played really good in a four-week span. And like I said, a lot of these European players don't play all the year round, so they don't develop the FedEx points because mm-hmm. when you play in Europe, you don't get the FedEx points that you do here. So I feel like the FedEx, it's a great accomplishment to win. I mean, you get a million dollars. 
No, more than that. If you win the FedEx, you get 10. It's 10? 10. Yeah, wow. Billy Horschel made a... Uh, he, he won a million for that tournament. You're right, that's what I meant. And then he won 10 million for winning the actual FedEx Cup, so... I really don't look in the FedEx Cup as the winner of who's the best player all year round. He had a very good four-week span, and that's what it is. I mean, Mac- mm-hmm. I mean, McElroy just had a whole year. Yes. But going to this year is, I really think he could continue. He could be the player of the year again, depending on how he plays. But also, I think... The person that really, really will challenge him this year is Ashley Jordan Spieth mm. or Ashley, a developing Ricky Fowler, who is finally starting to come into his own. He's finally showing his potential. I mean, he was going toe-to-toe with him last year, the British. Fowler kind of drifted off at the end because he mm-hmm. doesn't know what that stage was like. He has never sure. been there before McElroy had with mm-hmm. his previous two wins. But I feel like Fowler's finally showing his potential. Another person finally showing his potential, but he's in his 30s now, but it's Justin Rose. Mm-hmm. Rose... You know, he was strong, then he became quiet, and now he's coming back strong again. And I feel like Rose has one of the nicest swings. And I think Rose, did, I mean, he's due for a major. Yeah, no, he's a, he's an extremely good ball striker, you know, always in, in control. And if, if he can run putts in, you know, he, he can be effective as well. Um, you know, Justin Rose is one of the kids that was very hyped, you know, when he came out on tour and, has had really good appearances in a lot of tournaments, won the U.S. Open, uh, you know, extremely talented. It's it, it's going to be tough, you know, for, you know, if you're talking about the Grand Slam, it, it's just so hard because it's so hard to win on a routine basis on the, on the, on the tour these days. There's just so much talent, you know, at, at any day someone can, can really start taking over and it's just, it's extremely difficult, but, you know, you, the people you really look to elevate their game, guys like Rose, guys like Kucher, guys like Spieth, and guys like McElroy. You know, you're gonna see them week in, week out on top of leaderboards, playing well, you know, doing what they have to do to put themselves in positions to win golf tournaments. Yeah, another person that, you know, he's you know, he's thirty five years old, but it seems like he just gets stronger every year is Sergio Garcia. Mm-hmm. I feel I mean he I think he's the best golfer without a major right now, in my opinion. Yeah, by far. And that's, I guess, that's not necessarily something you want to be proud of it's or not. no one wants to hold that honor. But still, it, it does say something. And he's a great talent, great for the, you know, for the game. He he brings a crowd because, you know, he's exciting. He's electric. He does uh, have a big following. Very big following. I mean, following. he's one of my favorite golfers. I mean, big thing is I use TaylorMade, and I think wow. I like him because I use TaylorMade. But I, I, yeah. He has a big crowd, and you see him even when he goes over in Europe, he has a huge crowd. Mm-hmm. And you know the thing where he comes big is, is during the, um wasn't this year, during the Ryder Cups. He's always, he's oh, money sure. during the Ryder Cups. Yeah, he's uh, got one of the best records when it comes to to Ryder Cup matches. You know, he's he's extremely competitive, and yeah, like you say, he's 35, but the dude still hits it miles. Uh, you know, he sometimes just has a couple blow-up holes that, that, that usually is his... You know, is his downfall is that has a couple couple holes that get gets away from him, but otherwise, ball striking wise, uh, you know, absolutely, absolutely fantastic. The dude peers it just about every single shot. Speaking of Ryder Cup this year, God, the USA got boat race this year. It was not a good Ugh. year for the USA. Ugh. Yeah, no, was... Europe's Europe's strong right now. Uh, you know, they they have a talented squad and and. Uh, you know, we're either really young or we're getting too old. You know, you look at guys like Phil and guys like Tiger. We're getting a little bit older who used to be, you know, our leaders. 
Um, you know, we, we don't we don't have them playing at the level they used to. Uh, and so right now, USA is kind of caught in a in a spot where, you know, they need some of their young guys to start maturing and, and being able to contend uh, in the Ryder Cup. Tell you what, though, I was watching that final day of the Ryder Cup and it looked like it was over. I mean, they were up 10 to 6. And the way the USA started off that day, they started off strong. I mean, I think mm-hmm. like five out of the first six they were winning. I know Spieth was up by three on McDowell. McDowell ended up winning because Spieth kind of got, you know, I guess tired. I don't know what it is. But I tell you what, they were, they started off strong. It looked like they were, I mean, after five, after six golfers went out, I mean, they were tied. They were actually tied at one point. Yeah. And then the wheels just fell apart. I mean, Keimer just boat raced Bubba and Roy McIlroy. I mean, I thought him and Fowler were going to be the matchup of the day. That turned out to be a, uh, it was painful yeah. to watch for Fowler. It was mm-hmm. painful. I mean, it was over by the fifth hole, I think. Yeah, uh, you know, and, and that that that'll just be some experience. You know, we need we need these guys to to get more of that experience. You know, you look at players like Garcia who have participated in several Ryder Cups. Um, Ian Poulter, you know, several Ryder Cups. These these guys are built for it. They're they're geared up. They get excited for it. They know the emotion that goes into it. They know how to handle themselves. Uh, you know, in a match play format, and we need to get our young guys on that that kind of level in order to compete. Yeah, I mean, I don't really like... The Ryder Cup is a big one. I mean, the President's Cup is this year. It doesn't have the same effect as the Ryder Cup. I feel like mm-hmm. for the Ryder Cup Americans, you don't really see that many Americans get excited for golf. But during, it's like the World Cup. Sure. Not many Americans watch watch soccer, but when the World Cup comes on, it's American pride. When Ryder Cup comes on, I feel it's the same thing. I see a lot of people that went out to like bars early in the morning just to watch the Ryder Cup mm. and I I love it. I love that that kind of thing gets people going. Well, we uh you know USA we're we're full of pride and so anytime we have yeah. a chance to represent our country, I think uh all of us like to to get up for that. What what I liked was that uh the USA soccer team last year had a chant, you know, I believe that we can win. <laughs> and some of the soccer players and even some of the USA team was using that chant for USA golf during the Ryder Cup and I love it. I love how they came together because I mean, I feel like for USA the World Cup the Ryder Cup, it almost seems like they're the two biggest things for this country. Besides, I mean, the Olympics, of course, but mm-hmm. I feel like the World Cup and the Ryder Cup Americans come together. No, you're right. Um, you know, I, I think this country loves to support um, support USA athletics, and every time we get the chance, we, 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 we definitely don't disappoint. I mean, I think I was at a bar one day, and McElroy was like, someone was like, oh, I hope that guy plays for USA. I was like, uh, at least he's rooting for USA, but he doesn't. <laughs> it's, nice, it's nice to see someone who knows who wants to root for USA, but, you know, they don't know much about golf. As long as they wear the red, red white, and blue, I don't mind it there you at go. all. Um, we're going to shift gears real quick, and we're actually going to talk some baseball offseason moves. Um, there's a lot of free agents that have already gone out. A lot of big names have changed teams. A lot of trades. And I actually want to get into that. You know, I'm a big baseball fanatic. My favorite sport is baseball. I'm a huge Washington Nationals fan. A lot of couple things happened in the NL East that I want to talk about, about some teams. The Braves made some moves, the Phillies, the Marlins. And I want to get into some of the other moves. I know Brad's a baseball fan himself. Mm -hmm. So as soon as we replace the batteries, we'll get right to it. Okay. All right, we're going to jump ship here real quick, and we're going to go to a little baseball offseason moves. There's Mm -hmm. been a lot of moves so far since free agency started about a month and a half ago. Um, Some of the big names so far that have gone has been John Lester signed with the Cubs. Good luck, buddy. Um, <laughs> uh, another big team that's been making a lot of moves has been the Braves. The Braves, I feel like, have been fire selling a lot of people. They also signed, you know, they signed Nick Marquez from the uh, Orioles. 
Orioles fans, I mean, hurt them a little bit. I mean, he was seemed like he was going to be a lifetime in Baltimore, but that mm-hmm. changed. Uh, Justin Upton from the Braves is gone. He went to the Padres. Jason Hayward, he's gone. He went to the um, Cardinals. Uh, another Oriole that left will be Nelson Cruz. He left to Seattle. Um, I mean, Brad, what do you think about the Baltimore's moves so far? You know, uh, Cruz, he was electric this year. You know, he he brought some big hits. Obviously, he was uh, you know, knocking a lot out of the park. Yeah, I, I think they're going to miss that a little bit. You know, Baltimore still has really good bats. You know, they they hit the ball extremely well this year. But I think they will miss having Cruz. I think I think that one could come up to bite bite them. You know, Marquez. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. I, I don't. I don't know. Yeah. I feel like Marquez was seems like he was gonna be. He was a very. He was loved by the fans. I mean, it almost felt like he was. You know, not the next Cal Ripken in terms of talent, but in terms of being loved by the fans. I mean, he's. I think he had two thousand hits with the Orioles. Yeah. He was there since he's been signed. I felt like a lot of fans maybe felt betrayed that he took the money and left. I mean, it's just, it sucks because someone like him probably would want to stay, but you got to do what's best for your family, his family, and you got to go. I mean, it sucks, but nowadays you go where the money is. It's sure. horrible. Um, yeah, and I, I, I think Baltimore will still be, it'll still be good next year. Uh, you know, Boston still has some question marks. The Yankees will will still be there, but I, I think Baltimore will still be the the team to beat when it comes to that uh, the AL East. Yeah, speaking of Boston, they made two moves this year. Uh, they went and got Hanley Ramirez. They also picked up Pablo Sandoval. Um, I like the pickups for their bats. I don't like Sandoval. Actually, has a pretty good love. I mean, he made a, a damn good catch against the Nationals. Oh yeah. Bunt. Ramirez, I don't think his glove is there as it used to be. He's he's up there in age. Mm-hmm. I mean, before, I mean, five years ago, this guy was a top shortstop in the league. Sure. I mean, he was going one number one pick in fantasy baseball. Because he was hitting home runs, he was averaging, he was stealing bases. But now, the age is finally caught up to him from all that running. Uh, he's, you know, I mean, he'll be a good fit there. I mean, he, you'll have a pretty good infield there. You're going to have Adora on the right side, and then you're going to have Ramirez and Sandoval. So that has potential. We'll see what happens with Boston. Uh, the team that I think has been making the biggest splash in free agency this year, and Trey's, have been the Padres. They went out, they got Justin Hudson from the Braves. They got Matt Kemp from the Dodgers. They got Will Myers from the Raids. They went and got Derek Norris from the A's. I mean, they are making splash. I sure. mean, I don't know what that general manager is starting to do now, but I think they're trying to build the win now because a lot of these young players are past their prime. So they're building the win now, not for later. It's now because Upton, I mean, he's getting up. I mean, he still will hit the ball. He's up there in age. Kemp, injuries have been killing him the past couple of years. Yeah, I mean, last true. year was the first healthy year he had in a while. But, I mean, we'll see what happens with them. I mean, another thing with the Dodgers is they sold, I think, one of the best second basemen in the league, D. Gordon. Mm-hmm. Really good talent, really fast, has a really good average. I mean, if he gets on base, he's getting the second base no matter what. Yeah. Um, He went to the Marlins. The Marlins are also making some moves. They went and signed Michael Morris. A lot of fans know him here. <laughs> Nationals. Nationals, so yeah. we'll see him again. Uh, let's go ahead and talk to some local team. Let's go ahead and talk to the Washington Nationals. My favorite team, Brad, I don't know if you're an Orioles or a Nats fan. Which um, Nationals. Team? I cheer for D.C. teams. Love it. Mm-hmm. Um, they lost Cabrera to the Devil Rays recently, and I felt that was a big hit. I felt like Cabrera had some very timely hits last year, and his love was amazing. I mean, he transitioned from shortstop to second base, and it looked like he played there his whole life. Yeah, uh, great great sub for us you know having Cabrera in there he he was a you know great playmaker there there's not much more you can say as you know the the value of his minutes was was way up there 
Uh, we also lost Adam LaRoche. He signed with the White Sox, and in a move that even himself expected because when you got Ryan Zimmerman, who has a bat, but his arm is gone, he can't really play third base anymore. There's really, you got to have Ryan Zimmerman in the lineup somehow. You mm-hmm. can't get rid of him. His bat is amazing. I mean, he came in the postseason off the bench, and I went to game one. He came in, he got out, but the way the bat, the way the ball has been coming off his bat, it's just, it pops. Like, he's a natural hitter. And the only place for him was first base. Sadly, LaRoche is getting up there in age, and I think he would have cost a little bit of a good amount of money because LaRoche mm-hmm. has been having a good couple of years. Yeah. Um, I wish LaRoche the best of luck in the White Sox. I wish him nothing but good for goodness. I mean, he was a great player. I loved him his time here. He helped us out a lot. His love will be missed tremendously. I mean, he was like, I don't know how he didn't win gold gloves. He should have. Yeah, big time. He uh, constantly making plays there at first base. But, you know, when you when you think Zimmerman, it's just like that's the Nationals. Yeah, that's what you think. Zimmerman is an, is Mr. National. Yeah, he's he is. the very first. He's, he's Mr. National. Yeah, he he's is. He's what Cal Rickman was to the Orioles mm-hmm. right now. He's what Jeter is to the Yankees. That's what he is. Ortiz to the Red Sox. That is our man. And I think Nationals Nation and that organization is going to try and keep him a national until the end, you know. I, I well, he signed that big contract. I don't think he's going anywhere. Well, yeah, exactly. If they, I'm, I'm gonna be honest, I'm a national fan. If they trade Ryan Zimmerman, I'd be pissed off. Yeah, that'd be terrible. Like they'd be pissed. They won't let that happen. You can and, trade anyone else, but you can't trade Ryan Zimmerman. Um, some big. I mean, they signed Dan Elgler. I talked about it last week. Really, no big deal. He's not guaranteed on the team. I think he's there for a veteran presence. And who knows? He may. He says he needs eye surgery. Maybe he gets his eyes done. Maybe he has one more last good year. Who knows? We can only hope. Yep. Um, also big thing with the Nats is, like I said, last week, talked with you more about Jason Worf just had surgery mm-hmm. on his elbow, on his, excuse me, his right shoulder two to three months. Um, I'm not really worried if he's not ready for opening day. Cause like I said, we have people in the minors like a Michael Taylor. Mm-hmm. We just resigned Jeff, no, excuse me, not Jeff. I'm fucking blanking <laughs> out right now. <laughs> the fuck did we have last year? I came in and played outfield. Oh, on the left side? Kevin Franson. Ah, oh, Franson, yeah. All right. I really don't mind. We got Michael Taylor in the minor leagues, who isn't that bad. We have Kevin Franson, who yeah. came in and had some big hits last year. So I think we'll be fine. We also brought back Nate McClough, who mm-hmm. had elbow problems last year. I mean, I really think he played below his potential. I think his elbow problems really affected him last year. So, I mean, I really have no problem. I mean, we lost Steven Susan. You know, he probably would have been the guy who would have played with Worth out. But, you know... It is what it is. You know, we had to do it. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, you, you look at the way the Nationals are built and the strength of our team is our pitching. And that's kind of our ride or die. And so, you know, without having worth, you know, his bat and his, you know, his his presence, his, his pitch count, um, you know, when oh, yeah. when he's there is... Him and Span, they'll make a pitcher's work. Oh, sure. They, they make them work. You know, we'll miss that, but, but we need... You know, we need Geo, we need Strasburg. You know, we need these guys to to pitch well in order in order for us to win. And and he won't be out for that long uh, when the season starts, anyway. So you know, it's not going to make or break our uh, our season. I just hope when he comes back, he's he's feeling good, feeling better, and, and ready to play. Well, he probably hurt that right shoulder because he couldn't control his car when it was going 100 miles per hour <laughs> on 95. Let's talk about that another day. <laughs> yeah, speaking of worth, you know, with all the legal trouble, I really appreciate that he showed up to Nats Fest. With sure. all the legal trouble, what I didn't appreciate was Bryce Harper. I felt like he fucked over the fans in Nats Fest. I feel like that was wrong. I know you're having money issues, but don't take it out on the fans. I mean, you got fans there who were devastated. My fiance loves Bryce Harper. And I tell you what, when she found out he wasn't going to be there, she was devastated. And the way she found out was horrible. It wasn't he didn't say anything to the fans. 
posted a damn picture of him on Instagram at a bull riding contest. So obviously, you know, he's not going to be a Nats fest. Sure. I mean, he got his money. He got his seven years for those two years. But I felt like he handled that wrong. And I really, I think his agent, Scott Boers, I don't like Scott Boers. I think he's a dick. Yeah, you want to see a little more heart out of, you know, you're kind of young star. You want to see them buy in to everything and and be involved in the organization more than just showing up to the game. You know, you want to see the support uh, that that he goes after the fans and shows them some love because you know we we support him. So yeah, you want to see a little more involvement out of one of your star players like that. I mean, you had guys there like Jordan Zimmerman was there, mm-hmm. Ian Desmond, Doug Fisher. They were all that was during the trade rumors going around, and they were interacting with fans. They didn't, and nothing bothered them at all. And I love that about them. And um. Speaking of those trade rumors, Zimmerman, Desmond, and Fisser have been topic of trades. Yeah. Out of those three, I feel like the one that could be the expendable the most would be Desmond. Mm-hmm. I feel like the Nationals have a very good youth system in terms of infield. Desmond is, he'll bring you the glove, but as I stated to my family and my friends that watch the Nationals, I feel like he's a, he's becoming Adam Dunn numbers in terms of batting. He's getting close to 200 strikeouts a year. And the thing I don't like him is, I wish Worth or Span would talk to him about taking pitches because every time the first pitch, he's swinging. Yeah. If I was a pitcher, I would do a pitch out and he'll probably swing at it. I wish he would learn to do the count more and make it in his favor to where he can get, because if he connects the ball, it's gone. But he gets so far ahead and counts like 0-2, oh 0-1, and mm-hmm. oh and 1-2, one, 2-2, and two, two and two, that the pitchers don't have to pitch to him. Yeah. I mean, if he can build up like a 3-0 and oh count, a 3-2 and two count, Desmond would be the one guy who can swing on a 3-0 pitch and he'll connect with a fastball and he'll send it out of here. Oh, sure. I wish he would learn on that. I mean, his glove is amazing, but I feel like we need we need to sign Zimmerman more than Desmond. We need the pitching. Yeah. Uh, you know, Fister throws some filthy stuff. Uh, he's he's a great asset to Only our rotation. The playoff win last year. That's it. You're right. Uh, and, 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 and Jordan is... He had a great year and I hope his success continues into the next year. But yeah, of those pieces... I, I think Desmond would be the least missed, um, you know, if, if that's a way to put it. It's a shitty way to put it, but <laughs> um, I feel like this team, they're built to keep making a run. I feel like they're going yeah. the, to be the beast of the East for the next couple of years. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only team I've stated before that I'm really worried about is the Marlins. I feel like they're up and coming yeah. with D. Gordon, Michael Morris will be in left field. you got got Juan Carlos Stanton, who's yeah. probably one of the best young Good talent hitter. in the yeah. league. And the thing is, he's not only is he hitting home runs, but his average has gotten better and better and better as the years go on. He's not just a home run hitter, but he can hit for average now. Mm-hmm. And you got Jose Fernandez, who's probably one of the best young pitchers in the league. I mean, that kid, he's throwing nasty stuff, and he's you know he's young. Yeah. I mean, no. that's the thing about baseball nowadays. You have a lot of good young pitchers. They're throwing nasty stuff. And I'll tell you what, a lot of these pitchers now are starting to hit 99, 100 on the radar. And it's just ridiculous what's going on here. Sure. And another thing I want to talk about, speaking of young players, is um, I've been thinking about this lately with the whole U.S.-Cuba relationship getting better is, are we going to start seeing more Cuban players now in U.S.? And I tell you what, some of these Cuban players have come over, turned into some pretty good players. You got Jose Abreu from White Sox, who came out of nowhere, just blasting home runs. You got Sepetus with Boston last yeah, year. So and, traded and, um, yeah, Well, with Boston last year in the A's, where he was making those throws, Oh man! On the fly, incredible. <laughs> I mean, from the corner of left field, he made it on the fly. You don't see that kind of arm strength. And you got Chapman from um, Cincinnati, who's oh, mm-hmm. one. I mean, they want him to be a starter, but as soon as they put him in the closing role, you get him the ninth inning. He ain't touching 102 miles per hour fastball. Yeah, no. So we'll see what happens there. 
Um, like I said, there's more offseason to come. There's still a good amount of players that aren't signed. And I don't think we're done yet with trades or anything. I think I still think we have a lot more to go. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do like, you know what it is? Pitchers and catchers report within a month. <laughs> Getting close to baseball season. Yeah, it is. You know what I love about it is football, Super Bowl. After that, two weeks, baseball season starts, and I can't wait. I hate that little gap in between. You know, I watch the Wizards. I watch the Capitals. But the reason I like baseball is when you turn on Sports Center in the morning, there's something on Sports Center every day. There's some kind of baseball. Football season, Mondays is the best time to watch it. Basketball, it's repetitive. They dunk, they shoot, <laughs> whatever. Just talk about LeBron James, all this other stuff. But baseball season, you know, you get to watch stuff every day on Sports Center. The yeah. best time to watch Sports Center is baseball season, and Mondays during football season. Yeah, exciting, definitely. So um, I want to thank Brad for coming on today. Well, yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me out. Um, we're definitely going to get you on the show again. Great. Definitely during Master's Week, I'm going to have you on the uh, show. Okay. Um, I want to say thank you to my Uncle Paul for producing and not co-hosting that much today. <laughs> You're welcome. We got to get you on this time. Yeah, I was quiet today. <laughs> uh, my next episode, next Tuesday, I'm going to go over, um, I'm going to bring on a special guest, my friend Guillermo Ralda. He's my soccer fanatic. And we're actually going to talk a little Champions League soccer, getting in the See who could win the Champions League. We're going to talk a little MLS. You know, a big, couple big moves have been happening in MLS lately. And um, talk about international soccer and what's going on with Barcelona. So we'll get on that next week. So for myself, for Brad and Paul, thank you for listening. And have a great evening. <laughs>